It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports on a Thursday? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. We welcome you to our Thursday podcast broadcast, Hacksaw's Headlines, with my co-host, John Riley, based in our studios in San Diego. (laughs) We're going from one sport, March Madness, into the start of the baseball season. Here comes the NFL draft. Ton of topics on the table. John, how are you? I'm doing good. I mean, I'm still a little bummed out about the Aztecs losing the championship game, but what is a hell of a run, and now it's baseball. Baseball season, so it's a good time to be a sports fan. A lot of glow. A lot of glow in our community based on what San Diego State Aztec basketball just did. And, John, that's the first topic on the table we're going to talk about. Okay. So, I mean, I, I, I saw on the news, you know, the buses coming back to San Diego. The fans are cheering them on. There's been a debate about a parade. I mean, so what's your take here, Hacksaw? Well, you know, what should history write about Aztec basketball? Let's start at the top 32-7, and seven, quite an accomplishment. Obviously, getting to the Final Four, winning the buzzer beater semifinal game, playing Connecticut in the championship. The history of what Brian Dutcher has done in terms of recruiting, mixing, transfer portal, and obviously teaching the science of the kind of defense that has made San Diego State different than anybody else. Yes, they got battered by Connecticut, It was really hard. And the ugliness that we had talked about during the course of the season, hot and cold Jekyll and Hyde offense, really came back to haunt them. Uh, They went 11 minutes, 5 seconds without a basket. They went 22 possessions without a basket in the first half of that game. They had one stretch where they were just 2 for 17 shooting from the floor. Dug themselves such a big hole they could not come back. That being said, they did come back. They cut the lead down to about 6. And Jaden Ledee and Nathan Mensah, big difference makers, rallying them. But they ran out of gas. They ran out of possessions. They wound up losing the game. Nothing to be ashamed about. UConn is a special power playing the best basketball of its time at the right time of the year. So, uh, to me, there's just a big glow in our community as to what the Aztecs have become nationally. Now, that being said, unbelievably disappointed. Worst TV ratings of all time in the NCAA in March Madness at 14.6 million, the lowest number ever. Maybe because San Diego State's not a household name, not a sexy name, not an offensive firepower name. It is kind of stunning that nobody bought into the storylines of how good UConn became under Dan Hurley and what the Aztecs, as we have known them, to be rock-solid, tough, barbed wire, body bag defense. (laughs) Just didn't appeal to a lot of people. And it's odd because the NCAA women's tourney, had the all-time record 9.9 million viewers compared to the 14.6 million that the men's game had. But the LSU went over Iowa, was electric, it was eclectic, it was spontaneous, it was controversial, uh, and it was just dynamic offensive basketball. Did some digging and research today. TV8, which had the March Madness Final Four, their TV ratings rocketed. The Aztecs got a 48 share, 40 rating for the championship game on Monday night. 216,000 viewers in San Diego watched the Aztec game. And in the final five to ten minutes, as the Aztecs were dragging themselves back into it, 246,000 viewers. Wow. So... Overall, it was a big success in San Diego in terms of viewership. It was not a success nationwide. Uh, you know, the, the Aztecs have a lot to be proud of. Now now we get to rebuilding. It looks as if six guys will be back. Jaden Ledee has indicated he is coming back for his final year. I would hope Rashad Johnson, Keisha Johnson, would come back for his final year to polish all of his physical skills. Got to believe that Trammell's coming back. Got to believe that Lamont Butler, even though he's going to dabble and ask some people about the NBA, he comes back. So they got six, plus they got two incoming freshmen. Uh, who have already signed. So the ability to pick up a couple more and the ability maybe to go get two more out of the transfer portal, I hear that they've been approached by the 6'9 jumping jack star forward from Wyoming, Graham Ike, and I think the 7'1 Nevada center might be looking at San Diego State. But based on who they are, 
they can probably go into the portal and sales pitch anybody now mm-hmm. and get people to look at them rather than begging and wishing <laughs> somebody would sign yeah. here. So at the end of the day, great season, checkbook in the history and the annals of Aztec basketball. You must know somebody that's a computer whiz. <laughs> I wish you could get that somebody to run all the the metrics of this Aztec team into a computer and wonder how it would match up to the Kawhi Leonard-Jamal Franklin uh, team. Who would win a matchup between Kawhi's guys and Nathan's Mensa's men if mm-hmm. they matched each other in a computer? So that's your project in the off week <laughs> okay. is to go do that. All right. Make a phone call from out in left field, see if you can find somebody to run that stuff through a computer. All right. I said a lot. Your reaction to the end result, your reaction to the TV viewership, et cetera. Uh, you know, it's, first of all, we're all just loving the Aztecs, right? There's all this community, good vibes, and what a great run. And Dutcher doing it with class, his team doing it really, really with class, exceeding our expectations. It's been fantastic. Um, you know, when we were watching the, the game, you texted me and you said the Aztecs are getting a little taste of their own medicine, you know, with these big bodies banging them around. What do you think about that? Well, it was. I mean, Connecticut beat them physically. Connecticut beat them up defensively. I mean, you go 22 possessions in a row without a basket. You're getting a taste of your own medicine. But that that's not meant as a negative. They finally ran into somebody. They played the same kind of basketball that they played, and UConn had a little bit better offense. So um, uh, I don't think there's anything negative whatsoever. I wish it could have ended differently. <laughs> but I was so impressed with those kids. When they were down 24, hell, it could have been 35. They never quit. They just clawed their way back into the game because that's who they are and that's how they've been taught to play defense, and that's what they represent. Never give up, no matter what the odds. Well, you know, going back to the TV ratings, even though as a final the ratings were low, the semifinal game against FAU performed better than like a Kansas-Villanova semifinal game. So, you know, there's a, there's a number of ways to kind of slice the data here. Um, the main point here I think we can take as San Diego sports fans is the Aztec program is legit. And arrived. To, they've arrived. So to your point, they're going to be getting good quality players in the transfer portal, you know, and you look at these guys coming back, like Ladie, like Tramel, Micah Parrish, um, you know, you got Miles Bird and Elijah Saunders, they're going to be getting a lot of minutes next year. I mean, this could be a really great team for Dutcher and the guys next year. One difference is there is no Nathan Mensah, and I think that's that's the pole that you always built your team around because of what he was going to give you defensively. They're going to have to find somebody that's going to be able to give them that type of consistent defense. He grew into the role, and he's a fine college basketball player and I think a really, really good kid. All right, let's move on to the next topic. Okay, so um, last night, this was the game of, you know, we're getting right to crunch time. Who's in, who's out of the playoffs, who's in the play-in game? Well, crunched is the word to use to describe what happened to the Lakers. The Clippers blew them out. Clippers had the massive lead, shot 63% in the first half, scored 71 points. Lakers made an unbelievable rally to get back in. When the Clippers took their foot off the pedal, then the Clippers put their foot down, and the Lakers went, oh, game over. Uh, Lakers are are struggling. Uh, LeBron James has the worst first half I think I've ever seen him play. I mean, he was one for six, four turnovers, no rebounds in the first half, and he really looked fatigued because he'd played so many minutes the night before in the overtime game against Utah. Somehow, some way, they caught fire in the second half, made a game of it, actually wiped out what was a, at one point, I think, was a 23-point lead and, and got it down to six, but then the Clippers finally put him away. Uh, Lakers got two games left. Uh, they're fighting for their lives. They're in seventh place right now, tied with New Orleans. If they don't finish in sixth, they have to participate in the play-in games, which is not good. 7-8, 9-10, play-in game. Uh, if, if they can finish seventh, because they got Phoenix Friday and they finish with Utah, they should win one of those two. If they finish seventh, they get a home play-in game, which is important. It does not guarantee it, because they're going to have to win two to get into the real playoffs. So it's a big challenge. Right now, it's it's a team that, to me, still looks like it's all about AD and LeBron and hopes somebody else surfaces to have a good game, whether that's Austin Reeves or whether that's D'Angelo Russell. 
they, to me, just don't look like a complete basketball team. And all Laker fans have been going, oh, we're in the play-in series. Big bleeping <laughs> deal. You're going to be seventh or eighth seed. You've got to win two. And then you got to go play the big boys. Uh, the Clippers have got a lot of firepower. There is no Paul George. I don't think he'll be back for the playoffs with a sprained knee. But Kawhi's played really well. And they got a pile of three-point shooters. And even Russell Westbrook has contributed in a wide variety of ways. So the Clippers have the ability, whether they finish fourth or fifth, the Clippers have the ability to go deep. Uh, obviously, the top team in the West is Denver, and Denver has home court advantage, and Denver's got Nikola Jokic, and they're just a really good basketball team. But I think the the Clippers are in, and they're going to go forward a couple of rounds in. I don't know if the Lakers can even win a play-in game. And then if they win the play-in series, then they got to start the best of seven. And I don't know how this thinned-out roster can actually hold up to a best of seven series. Thoughts? Yeah. I, well, I was really amazed with the stats they showed in the game last night where the Clippers have dominated the Lakers for the last decade. 11 straight and 35-7 and seven over the last 42. It used to be a rivalry, uh, wow. you think? <laughs> That's unbelievable. I mean, I knew the Lakers were down and the Clippers had been doing better, but I didn't realize it was that lopsided. Um, so I know, as an Aztec fan, I love seeing Kawhi back in the, in the games. He's going to be in the playoffs. I would love to see Paul George, but how, how bad is that knee injury? Spray knee. I mean, that, that thing could be three weeks. It could be six weeks. They're not talking about it, but the fact he's not there and he's not practicing means he can't play and he's not ready. So I think they're prepared emotionally to go on. Uh, They're too deep at center. Westbrook has really added some different dimensions. they got a bunch of guys that can stroke it from three and light it up. Just ask the Lakers about what happened in the first half of that game last night. So I think Clippers move on. Lakers are going to struggle just to get uh, into the regular round. And we've got one other basketball topic. Yeah, so the drama in Dallas. I mean, how is Kyrie working out with the Mavericks? That's the perfect word you put up there on the board, poison. He's poisoned <laughs> the roster. The guy may be a great individual talent, but the guy is a loser as a teammate. Since they paired Kyrie Irving with Luka Doncic in the trade at the deadline, Dallas is 5-11. and 5-11 when those two guys play together. Just terrible. And yeah, he can score 31 or he can score 40, but are they playing consistently? Does he share the basketball? No. So what's happened with Kyrie here is like what happened to Kyrie in Brooklyn and prior to that in Boston and before that with LeBron in Cleveland. He doesn't fit. He doesn't fit anywhere. It's not a team concept game. It's all about him. I don't know what Mark Cuban is going to do. Cuban today gave a vote of confidence to Jason Kidd, the head coach. Why would you do that? Kidd's not been able to bring this group together. Says he'd like to re-sign Kyrie. Now, you paid a price to get him. You don't want to get him just for a rental and then let him go on the open market as a free agent see if he can sell himself somewhere else. But what's it? to me, it's a, it's a failed chemistry experiment. And if you look at body language, and Doncic's a great player, and he's a good team guy, and he's statistically, he's just a phenomenal offensive talent. But you look at his body language on the court right now, it's like, pass me the ball. I'm open for three. I hit a lot of threes. And Kyrie's launching shots from all over the court or taking into traffic and traveling or getting stuffed. Or, uh, <laughs> square peg round hole. Yeah, that's what it does sounds not like. fit. Okay, your response. You came up. You're the one that came up with the word poison. Well, yeah. I mean, has, has Kyrie ever really worked out anywhere in the NBA? I mean, it seems wherever he goes, it's a cancer. I mean, you, you had the run with LeBron in Cleveland. They did get a ring. And he was unhappy. So he goes to Boston. And I, th- I thought because, <clears throat> because he's such an offensive gem of a player, they, he would fit right in with Brown and Tatum. Didn't fit. Goes to Brooklyn. Oh, he's going to be paired with Kevin Durant and all that. And he leads the insurrection against the coach Steve Nash. Brooklyn becomes a mess. Nash is fired. Durant gets traded. Kyrie is dealt away. And now he's in Dallas, squared peg round hole. Wow. I mean, just what a disaster. And yeah, Luca is just so terrific as a player. Um, so is is his contract only through the end of this season? He becomes a, a walk-free agent at the end of the season. Kyrie does. So yeah, so Cuba might just let him go. I mean, just and wash his hands. Yeah, but he washes hands, but he, he washed his hands by trading all his number one draft picks. And he traded two of his really good young players who were doing well with Doncic to mm. get him. So you're going to wash your hands of that mistake? What a mess. Oh, man, what a mess. All right, before I go to baseball, we've got a lot of topics on the table to talk baseball. John, tell everybody 
about fans forum right at the end of the show because we're looking for a co-host and subscribing to all the things we're doing on our podcast. Yeah, so you want to get involved. you got a hot take for a hacksaw question about the NBA, about Major League Baseball, about the NFL. Just drop your, your question, your comment in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. We'll get you involved in the Fans Forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's Headlines. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I listen to podcasts when I'm walking the dog, when I'm out in the neighborhood, when I'm in my car with Bluetooth. You can get Hacksaw's Headlines. Just Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including on YouTube. Also, a reminder, go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. If you're new to our podcast, I have a website. It's all written day by day. It's the best 15 minutes in radio. It's Hacksaw's headlines. It's my one man's opinion column. And obviously, it's our fans mini poll so check that out every day and also every time you do something with our podcast make sure you give us a thumbs up because that tells people you like what we're doing john let's talk baseball okay i mean the padres just had their opening series at home and it was a really rocky road it was up and down and now they're on the road again so let's let's dive in Oh, that wasn't very good, was it? No. I thought the Padres were going to go 6-0 on the homestand, and they go 3-3. Three and three. How do you lose three games to Colorado and Arizona? <coughs> Excuse me. A uh, lot of issues here. A lot of, quote, topics on the table as it relates to the Padres. I thought it was a really ugly homestand. How bizarre was the final game of the homestand against Arizona? You look back. Arizona stole five bases on the Padres in that last home game. Padres, four walks from Darvish, two hit batsmen. Padres, two errors in the field. Juan Soto hitting 190 for the entire homestand. (laughs) Uh, Machado gets ejected for misinterpreting the batter's box rules. Uh, Pitching staff looks a little bit thinned out. Luis Garcia can't find home plate right now. Now, he had a bad start last year, and then obviously they rallied him. It's way too early to go looking for panic buttons, but geez, what a bizarre homestand. So that's that's item one. Uh, Item two is the loss to Arizona. Uh, defensive issues with this team, yeah, they got some misplaying fly balls in the outfield. Obviously, what's happening behind home plate, the rule changes have kind of put the Padre catchers under the spotlight of if they got somebody that's going to be able to throw people out at second base. Mm-hmm. I mean, to see Arizona steal five bases in one game, including the theft of home, that's not Padre baseball. That's not first place Padre baseball. So they, they got some issues there defensively. Uh, The pitching updates, we talked a little bit about it. Uh, Joe Musgrove making his first start, rehab start in Sacramento. Uh, Obviously, Darvish is going to have to build his pitch count. Now, Nick Martinez is up there in terms of his ability to throw innings through 100 pitches in his last start. They just need to continue to grow uh, the starting rotation going forward. Very pleased with Michael Waka, what the ex-Tampa Bay Boston Red Sox right-hander, did in his first start. Really surprised at Seth Lugo going seven strong mm-hmm. in his first start because he was a reliever for the most part the last couple of years with the New York Mets. So no panic button yet, but the things that have to be paid attention mm-hmm. to because they're going to Atlanta, then they're going to New York to play the Mets. And then when they come home, they're going to get Atlanta again. And Atlanta's a pretty doggone good team. So we got that to talk about. Uh, Tatis, Fernando, uh, two for four, three walks, home run, couple of stolen bases, first couple games, Texas with El Paso. He also got booed, really got booed uh, up in Sacramento. Took a lot of heat, and that's in the minor leagues. So I would assume he's getting a taste of what it might be like for him when he gets to the major league level. He's been playing right field for El Paso. Has to be there for 15 games, but that's 15 chances to get reps, rotations, and do all the things he needs to do to get ready. He'll be back here for game 20 of the Padres' season. And the Soto situation, I, what can I say? This is a proven commodity who has never hit since the trade from Washington. He didn't hit last year when he hit 232 here. He's hitting 190 now. The, you know, the... I can only buy the excuse, well, I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself. I have to get adjusted. Well, we're beyond that. We're into the second season here. You should be doing things more consistently. I'm not I'm not freaked out. I'm not alarmed. I'm not going to lose faith in the guy. But for somebody that thinks he's worth 40 to 50 million to hit 32-32 last year here and now 190 to start this season, 
come on now, <laughs> something not right. Yeah. So the the, 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 the Soto situation is interesting because he was just killing it in spring training at WBC and, and in the Cactus League. Yeah. I mean, so but it's, that was John. <laughs> that was against substandard pitching. Okay. Fair enough. All right. So w- I, I'm anxious to see him turn this around. And and that that ejection of Machado was just so bush league. It's like the umpires are just becoming these sort of hardcore guys. You think that they need to make a few adjustments to that that pitch clock situation. Um, but the the last comment I'll make and, and is is did you see the tweet from the pitcher that gave up the home run to Tatis? Yeah, call him a cheater. Yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So, uh, I mean, there's going to be so many storylines with this team all season. In terms of Machado, I'm sorry. The words that are applicable, letter of the law. Yeah. It's right there. John, you got to file your income tax April 15th. Hmm. If you don't, you're in trouble. Okay? Letter of the law. Be in the box, prepared to hit with eight seconds to go. Now, he's not the only one because the next day, Tim Anderson, the White Sox shortstop, got caught doing the same junk, got into an argument, and got thrown out of the game, too. (laughs) But, I mean, the rule is eight seconds. Mm -hmm. Be prepared to hit in eight seconds, and you can't do this time. Well, he did. Pay attention or trying to stretch it. Now, conversely, the pitchers are doing the same doggone thing. We had an incident the same day that Machado got thrown out. We had an exact same situation where pitcher tried to fast pitch a batter in the box who was not ready. And the umpire said, no, no, that's a ball. You can't deliver the ball. 11 seconds are on the clock when he tried to fast pitch it if the batter's not ready. And the batter's got till eight seconds to be prepared to hit. So the umpires are doing letter of the law, John. Make sure you pay your income tax on time. <laughs> you know, and I think Shohei Otani got busted both ways, didn't mm-hmm. he? As a hitter and as a pitcher. So I don't know. I mean, I, the umpires, yeah, they're probably being told to be hardcore, yeah. is my guess. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's weird how the pitch clock is 15 seconds, but if there's runners on base, it's 20. You know, so there's some nuances here. It kind of makes you wonder, are they going to make some adjustments? Not right now. They the, the rule is the rule. Follow the rule. April 15th, your income tax is due, John. That's right. On we go. Next topic. <laughs> okay, let's move on down the road here. And uh, yeah, we're talking, well, uh, yeah, the, the Major League Rules changes. This is what we're just talking about with the pitch clock. I mean, there's a lot going on here in the Major League Baseball that Rob Manfred's got to figure out. I think most of the response has really been favorable. Uh, I'll give you a prime example. The pace of play, all the rules are to make the game faster. We had a game the other night, Marlins, Minnesota Twins. Went an hour 57. Really? An hour 57. Was Greg Maddox pitching? No. <laughs> Sandy Alcantara, okay. Miami's pitcher, threw uh-huh. a three-hit, 10-strikeout shutout. Now, he threw 100 pitches. He pitched a complete game. But in an hour and 57 minutes, that's a Randy Jones-type game. Yeah, yeah. So the rule change has worked. In terms of, of total time, the first weekend... Major League Baseball, average time last year was three hours and one minute. This year, the first week, first weekend, week into the weekend, two hours, 36 minutes. So they that's, cut, that's huge. It's, yeah, it's, it's really, it's got 25 minutes yeah. off the game time. So that, that has worked. Uh, in terms of the shift, last year, overall batting average in baseball with the shift was 242. First weekend of games... Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, collective team batting averages were 250. So we saw a bump up from 242 to 250. And I think it's just the beginning. I think there'll be more offense. Now, I went back and researched, and in fact, when we're done out in left field today, (laughs) go check my website, because I wrote a column about the pitch clock and about the baseball history and team batting averages, et cetera. It's fascinating. When you, you think the baseball... Team collective averages last year was 242. Baseball back year 2000, modern day, highest average of all time was 270. Way back in the 1930s, highest average was 292. Hmm. So it's it's interesting, but base, baseball's obviously pushing this pace of play, make the games better, and obviously taking the shift out of the game, I really believe is, is going to add more more offense yeah. to games. I'm, I'm in favor of all that. Stolen bases. Uh, in memory of Lou Brock, Maury Wills is <laughs> happening. Uh, first day of the season was last Thursday. 
23 stolen bases in the first day of baseball. All the games are 16 games or wow. 15 games. 21 of 23 on the base pads. 21 stolen bases in 23 attempts. A year ago, opening day, five. Really? Only five stolen bases opening day last year. There were 21 this past Thursday. That's the, incredible. Yeah, it is. And what's happened is, John, you you make a pitch, you throw to first. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've used one of your opportunities. You're probably not going to use the second one. And by the way, I'm taking a bigger lead because I don't think you're going to throw over here again. I'm gone. Mm-hmm. Think about that. 21 of 23 in stolen bases on opening day in baseball. So the, the dynamics of the game have changed, and somewhere in heaven, Lou Brock and Maury Wills are saying, <laughs> right on. Yeah, well, that's why that's why Arizona was running wild on the Padres. They probably realize they have a strategic advantage, right? Probably realize they got Austin Nola behind home plate. They better figure something out, <laughs> yeah, whether it's too. him or Campusano. Something has to change there. So that that was good. And then the batter's box rules, and obviously Tim Anderson, Machado, etc. Uh, there have been hardly any calls, violations of the pitchers for not getting the ball to home plate. In fact, there have probably been more violations about the Max Scherzers of the world trying to do something to psych out the batters mm-hmm. uh, than, than there have been balled you're taking too long. And if it, the incidents at home plate have been really few and far between. So I think the positive is because the six weeks in the Cactus League and the Grapefruit Circuit, everybody really had a sense of what this rule was. You might as well adjust to it and get used to it. But it's not to say there's not going to be issues there. Because, you know, you can only step out of the box one time, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an item. And for the pitchers that are scuffling on the mound, I think I think this is going to be a big issue. How do I get my command back? I don't have time to think about what I'm doing because i got to get the sign because the clock is ticking. So I think that's going to be a bigger challenge for pitchers if they're not doing well. And one other item, and I, I've watched a lot of games on TV since the season started. Everything for the from the pitcher's perspective on the mound just seems rushed. Mm-hmm. There's no time to catch your breath because you got to stand up there, get the pitch, make the delivery. Here's an intangible thing: What's the weather like in St. Louis and Kansas City in July and August and September? Yeah, hot. What about the fatigue factor for mm. pitchers on the mound having to pitch at a faster tempo? As the sun bakes off the artificial turf in these places, I don't know if anybody's paid any attention to the potential issue with that, but I, I, I think starting pitchers are going to struggle in the heat of the summer in all these ballparks when they're on the mound, on the mound, watching the clock, get the sign, and got to get it back to the play. I think it's going to be a big challenge. Your response? Yeah, I think especially with um, you know with the runners going wild on the base pass, um, I think it's going to put a lot of stress on those pitchers. Um, but let me ask you this, kind of a different angle, but the the, the Pace of the game is a big difference. Like you just said, some games under two hours, which is incredible. I wonder what the economic effect of this is, because if the games are shorter, there's less game time, therefore less commercials. The people in the stands are buying less hot dogs and less beer. I mean, is this going to have an impact economically on the sport? Well, everybody keeps statistics and records, including the organizations, about what they sell at the concessions and all that. So, John, if, if you're going to run up the stairwell from our box seats to go get a beer, you might miss an inning, yeah. or an inning and a half. So mm-hmm. I don't want any beefing if you come back and say, <laughs> what happened? You got right. your beer, you got your dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, I I think there's an intangible there that, that clubs will pay attention to. But Rob Manfred is not going to change the rules based on how many hot dogs they do sell or don't sell right. uh, at the fish taco stand at, at Petco Park. <laughs> okay, let's move on. We've got NFL to talk about. Okay, yeah, there's just so much going on right now. So let's move on down the list to, oh, no, we got to talk about Dodgers and Angels. Oh, quickly, yes. Dodgers. Okay. Uh, Dodgers have started really well. Uh, Julio Urias has just really pitched well. Kershaw has pitched well. Uh, Noah Syndergaard had the first really rock-solid start, went six innings gave up only one run. Uh, Dodgers are doing the bullpen by committee right now. Uh, James Outman, home run, triple, double. First week in center field for wow. the Dodgers. That's good. Trace Thompson. Who? <laughs> Trace Thompson. Three home runs, eight RBIs in one game. Wow, where'd that come from? <laughs> so the Dodgers, Dodgers are doing well. The Angels, Otani is Otani. I mean, he's hitting 286, got home runs, Pitched six innings, gave up one run in his first start. 
and the whole spotlight of the world is on him every time he's on the mound or when he's at home plate. Uh, he's going to obvi- obviously have to deal with the, the media pressure, fans' expectation for him. Uh, Angels got, uh, I think it was six shutout innings from Tyler Anderson, the ex-Dodger, in his first start. Mm-hmm. Angels went into Seattle and beat the Mariners, won two of three against Seattle. So, so far, so good for the Halos. Dodgers are, with the kids doing well. I failed to mention Miguel Vargas, the rookie second baseman, 14 at-bats. He, he got hurt, but he it was not a major injury. 14 at-bats, nine bases on balls. Well, so the guy, know, guy knows home plate, knows his strike zone. That's kind of impressive. Now, I don't know if he's going to hit 194, but he got on base a lot the first two series the Dodgers played. Yeah, I think the Angels, there's going to be a lot more Angels fans now because you know, of what Shohei did in the, in the WBC. And our old friend Hunter Renfro is back there. You know, In right field, he made that Kevin Mitchell-like catch out there in right center field over his back. Um, but, you know, I, I read an article this morning about the Dodgers and all those young kids, and their offense now is better than the offense they had last year. Uh, John, small sample. Okay, but small still, sample size. But please. still, I mean, but that's that's far more than we expected. And you're, so, not, you're not ordering Dodger playoff tickets from left field already. No, are you? not at all. <laughs> but it, it just goes to show you that, you know, even as Padre fans, we're excited about our team. We're thinking the Dodgers are taking a step back. But, you know, there are smart people up there at Chavez Ravine. They know what they're doing planning that team. And these young t- players, I'm anxious to see how they perform. I think the Dodgers have a good future ahead of them. Just remember, small samples size please okay okay <laughs> on we go let's talk nfl football all right so here we go so this quote was crazy here austin eckler punched in the face i mean what's going on here Axel? austin eckler granted an interview to sirius xm he's now he's gotten really vocal and now he sounds really bitter and he said the charger ownership and i'm I believe that's John Spanos, the president of football operations, and Tom Teleska, the general manager, said, we are not going to negotiate with you any longer. You owe us a year on the contract. End of conversation. So that means he plays the final year of the deal at $6.2 million. And his response on SiriusXM, because I heard the piece of the interview, I felt like they punched me in the face. Wow. For everything <laughs> he has done for that team, last week he went public and said, I'm feeling like they're giving me half my value. You know, guys got 7,700 all-purpose yards and want five years and all those touchdowns. And the reason the kid quarterback is so good is he's got a running back who can run it and they can catch a ton of balls out of the backfield. You take him out of the offense, it's not the same team. But they've indicated you always see you're on the contract. You play at $6.2 million. I think what he has found, because his agent was given permission to call teams, his agent has found that nobody's interested in a $6 million running back because I think collectively the NFL has devalued that position. Mm. Uh, nobody has traded for Derrick Henry. I mean, he's the big, tough guy running back Tennessee Titans. He's making six. So this is not good because it means the relationship with the Chargers front office, and in a, to a degree, Brandon Staley, is really strained. Now, I don't think he'd ever dog it. I don't think he'd ever quit on him. You hope he never gets hurt. But suddenly, what was a pretty good relationship by a very productive young running back is no longer the same anymore. So that's a big, big issue going forward. I don't understand the Chargers. They've got some cap space. You could bump him up from $6 million to eight. That'd be the starting point for negotiations next year. And I guarantee you, if you franchise tag him next year, even though the number will be $10 million, He's going to be really unhappy, and I don't think he's going to sign the franchise tag. And hell, he might even hold out. So we got a year to see if anybody will solve this situation, but he felt like he was punched in the face by an organization he's given his heart to. Is this maybe Dean Spanos just being cheap? I mean, because we see other owners, I mean, talking about Seidler and the Padres that are so generous, you know, and if if Eckler is such a critical part of your offense, why wouldn't you reward him just to keep the team chemistry going? Um, I mean, is Eckler a bad character guy? Or no. He, no yeah, so why would you create this friction when you don't really need to? Yeah. Like I say, bump him. Take yeah. him up to eight. Hell, if you really want to pay him for what he's given you over five years, take him to $10 million, and that becomes a starting point next year. He's the 15th highest paid running back in the league. He's the third most productive running back in the entire league. But nobody's making more than six. 
especially mm-hmm. since Ezekiel Elliott got released. And Denver, Dallas said, we're not paying you 10. You got to take five. Well, he hasn't done that yet either. <laughs> uh, I just think it's a terrible way to do business for a really good player who's really become the focal point of everything you've done offensively. And I'll guarantee you, if you lost him opening day with a season-ending injury, you know how much trouble they would be in? Because they wouldn't have his productivity. Well, who do they have? Look, backups. Backups. Yeah. <laughs> they haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not going to tell me Joshua Kelly is going to replace Austin Eckler. You're not going to tell me... Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M, who hardly played at all last year, is replacing Austin Eckler? Come on now. So, a strange way to do business. I think they're creating, like you said, they're creating a monster problem for themselves. Mm -hmm. It should not need to be this way. Next topic. (laughs) So, Chargers. Okay, let's uh, move on down the list here. we got some uh, big storylines with quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, this is the week that the the hot draft pick quarterbacks are all paying their visits for their individual meetings with specific teams. A little bit of controversy in Carolina. Suddenly, out of nowhere, the hiring of Frank Reich was a positive. The trade to get to the number one pick was a positive. And now, all of a sudden, David Tepper, the owner, goes public and says, My choice at quarterback is Bryce Young of Alabama. Frank Reich's choice at quarterback is C.J. Stroud, Ohio State. Oh, no. How important was this, John? Fourteen members of the front office were at Ohio State's Pro Day to watch C.J. Stroud mm-hmm. do his thing, and he was pretty impressive. Now, all of a sudden, we got this divide. I don't understand what's going on in Charlotte. The owner? Owner wants the Alabama quarterback? The coach of entrusted to rebuild the franchise wants the Ohio State quarterback? Is the owner going to make the call on this? A lot of times, this does not work out very well. So this bears watching because there is a divergent difference of opinion as to who should be number one. And now we got this mess in New England. You know, they they really had a rocky season last year, and it was all put in place because Bill Belichick appointed co-offensive coordinators, two guys who came off the defensive side of the ball, Matt Patricia, was calling plays with Joe Judge, Patricia, former defensive coordinator, Judge, a great linebacker coach. They're running the offense. Now the story spills out. Mac Jones, the quarterback, struggled so badly last year in communicating with those two co-coordinators that Jones called Alabama and asked for advice from their coaches as to what he should do, how he should handle this mess. Mm-hmm. So he went outside the circle of the Patriot coaching staff to try to get somebody to consult with him. Well, the word got back to Belichick, and Belichick was furious. Belichick also kind of stripped away some of the play calling of Joe Judge, which proves to me that it was a horrible decision the coach made initially to put two defensive guys in to run the offensive yeah. side of the football. <laughs> what is that? So now we find out, according to the uh, Boston Globe, that Belichick, within the last month, has been shopping Mac Jones around in a potential trade to other clubs. Didn't get any takers. Now that word got back to Jones's agent. (laughs) Holy cow, what a soap opera we've got here. So Belichick's going to have to do some bridge building to fix this because he's stuck with the quarterback unless they do something radical. Uh, in the draft. And that's not, historically, it's not been the way Belichick has has done business. That's a big problem there. And then you got the Raiders. Now, you, I know you got Raider gear in your closet. (laughs) You need to explain to me why you would spend the money you just spent to sign Jimmy Garoppolo of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And this week, it leaks out, you're bringing all these quarterbacks in for personal meetings. So are the Raiders Raiders going to draft at seven or trade up? Are the Raiders mm-hmm. in play for C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young? Are the Raiders doing something with the Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson who's kind of fascinated a lot of teams because of his physical skills? So you're going to do all this when you've got so many other holes on the rest of this roster? I don't understand the Raiders' methodology of doing business. You already traded Darren Waller, your star tight end. You know, you got Devontae Adams, and you've you've been in the free agent market, and you've made other deals. Why are you screwing around with another quarterback when you already committed all this money uh, to Jimmy G? So I, I don't understand what the hell the Raiders are doing, because you surely don't need another quarterback on the roster, even though it might be a guy to develop down road. Don't you need offensive line help? 
Don't you need stud defensive linemen for the 28th ranked defense in the league? Go ahead. I know you got Raider gear in your closet. Explain yourself. <laughs> well, how long is Jimmy G's contract? Are they three, made, years. three? So maybe they're thinking of bringing in a young guy to be, you know, the 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 apprentice. And so when Garoppolo, you know, is gone in three years, there's a new guy that's ready to go. That doesn't solve your defensive problems. No, doesn't not solve at your all. Pass blocking problems. Yeah, I explain yourself on that one. There must be a Raider <laughs> fan out there that. Is walking around with the old dented Super Bowl trophy and said, "Yeah, we did this back in 1985. We're still great. Well, you're not great any longer. No. What an absolute mess." Okay, next question. Okay, so we, we got to talk a little bit about the Ravens. I mean, what's going on there with Lamar Jackson? Uh, Baltimore. This is quite a story here. Uh, this the, is the correct word falling out. Let's talk about Lamar Jackson. Franchise tag refuses to sign the franchise tag. Talks have stalled. Now we find out. Baltimore offered him a total contract with $175 million guaranteed. It'd be the second highest guarantee in history, second only to Deshaun Watson. Now, the guarantee was, was wrapped around things like annual bonus clauses if you're on the roster at a certain date, incentive clauses if you have 4,000-yard seasons, and then there was an injury clause if you get through The fourth year of the contract with no significant injuries will guarantee the fifth year. So you add all those, quote, clauses, the guarantee is 179. Mm -hmm. Lamar Jackson says, no, I want guaranteed money, lock, stock, and barrel. We're not doing any of this funny money, hidden clause stuff. He says, no. Steve Biscotti, the owner, Eric DaCosta, the general manager, on Monday, removed the last offer off the table. Wow. So – Lamar Jackson's status with the Ravens is one piece of paper, the franchise tag sheet, sign it, or don't play. And in Baltimore, on top of that, DaCosta announces, we're going to draft a quarterback. So this is this is a mess. And this is a great player. <laughs> but the great player has overvalued himself. And like last week, the Ravens owner said, Deshaun Watson's contract is not going to be the new norm in the NFL. You don't see anybody else offering him, Lamar, an offer sheet fully guaranteed. We're not going to do it either. So what a mess. Yeah, I think I would imagine a lot of the owners are, you know, they're upset with Cleveland for setting that precedent still. Um, But I I just want to go back to to Carolina for a minute. You know, I get it where there might be a difference of opinion between an owner and a GM or an owner and a head coach. But you would think that they would keep that behind closed doors, you know, that it wouldn't get out in the public because once it's in the public, it's creating, you know, that, that like you said, it was like a feud, you know, between the people in the organization. And you know the owner's gonna win, and the owner's probably not gonna make the most rational choice. Yeah, the last time we had something like this was a couple of years ago in Washington. Your guy, Daniel Snyder, overruled <laughs> the coaching staff and told them you take Dwayne Haskins, hmm. Ohio State quarterback, deceased now. And how'd that work out? What a disaster. I mean, you pick Reich to rebuild a franchise that had fallen apart. Let Reich do what he and the football people yeah. need to do. We don't have a guy who's an owner and a rich man who builds air conditioning factories making football decisions. Don't understand it. We'll see where this goes in the next couple of weeks. Next week will be really interesting. We come back on our regular Thursday podcast. I'm sure I think I'll have a few more notes and rumors to talk about <laughs> sure you will okay all right let's uh you want to move along here we got uh we got some stuff going on in golf i mean the masters is just getting going here yeah a lot of ill will at augusta uh the masters is off and running let's talk about that situation uh the whole storyline is tiger woods i think it's uh, it's sad uh he's limping he played only nine holes of practice rounds he was limping on the course uh he openly admits he's still got pain in the surgically repaired leg uh, from the aftermath of that horrible auto accident. Um, he was really struggling today. He bogeyed three of the first five holes, kind of shot himself out of it, tried to rally back, didn't do well. Uh, you know, the uh, leaderboard, I think, said Tiger finished at uh, two, two or three over, way back. He's like eight shots back of the pacemakers. Wow. Uh, I'm not going to tell him that he should retire, But if you're on the course and everybody can see you're having all these physical woes and you can't play and you can't make the cut, what do you gain from being there? Go into retirement. You have all your golf accolades. 
go to the Champions Tour, the Senior Tour, if you still think you can play. So I'm kind of saddened to see that because when you watch him walk the course, you can see he's favoring it. And he openly admits, I don't know if I can walk 18 holes a day, much less walk 18 holes four days in a row if I happen to make the cut. And right now it does not look like he's going to make the cut. So that's, that's kind of a sad issue. Uh, the, some of the other storylines are out there. Uh, Greg Norman, not invited. Not invited to the Masters dinner. Not invited to the Masters ceremonies. You know, as a, a former number one ranked global star, you would think we'd lay down the guns because of the war with LIV and let him come. They did not invite him, which is kind of, that's kind of nasty. Uh, some guys are still really in grudge mode. And it's it's interesting to just just hear uh, what some of the other guys are saying. Freddie Couples, <coughs> excuse me, apologize for the cold. <laughs> Freddie Couples just continues to rant about the LIV. Freddie Couples said before the, the champion's dinner, LIV, <coughs> you're paying Phil Mickelson $200 million to choose 74 and 75? Good luck to you. Mm. It just continues to dig about these guys who went there for the guaranteed money. And then out of nowhere comes a story in USA Today, Harold Varner, one of the younger guys who jumped to LIV last year. He has now confirmed that a number of players are negotiating to buy their way out of the Saudi contract to come back to the PGA Tour. Ah. And he's kind of taken back because <laughs> it's like they're playing golf out there in another galaxy. Mm-hmm. They're not on anybody's radar. There's no relevance to the LIV. So the Dustin Johnsons of the world and the Cam Smiths of the world and all the guys that you know took the money are over there and nobody's paying attention. And Varner says he is, he is upset because the LIV people just seem to be in it to make money. And there's there's really no grab that says this is going to be a great tour, regardless of what Greg Norman said early on when they were trying to lure all these players there. And then you got Phil Mickelson, who's disappeared completely off the radar. And to me, that's really sad because I like him. He was the fans man. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He can't make the cut. There's no cut on the LIV. But he's I think his highest finish in LIV is 25th. Out of 46 players. And all the rest of the tournaments, he's 36th, he's 42nd, he's 48th. It's like the minute he got the money, his game totally disappeared on him. So I think there's there's an awful lot of sadness uh, about that. And, of course, the first round is, is still going on. Uh, Scotty Scheffler was fighting to try to get to the top of the leaderboard, which I don't think is going to be easy. Uh, he was two under, still out on the course. DJ was even par. Phil was uh, uh, minus two uh, on the course. So it, to me, it's it's there's been not a lot of conversation about PGA LIV in Augusta the last couple of days, aside from what Varner said and what uh, Freddie Couples said. But the reality is nobody cares about this other tour. And these guys, yeah, they're getting to play in the Grand Slam events, but they're not even playing really great golf at this point of their careers, even though they're getting a big payday. So it's kind of messy right now. Uh, John Rahm had just an unbelievable day today. Uh, he had... <laughs> You play golf you have, uh, on your scorecard. <laughs> yeah. If your scorecard has a lot of different colors on it, that's mm-hmm. not a good sign. No. No, no. John Rahm had five birds and an eagle and bogeys and double bogeys. He was all over the place. Wow. But he rallied back and he pushed himself into second place mm. uh, today late in the first round. So it's four days. It's a wonderful tournament. It's just it's a slice of Americana. But geez, I, I hate all this other junk that is kind of wrapped around the Masters tournament. Yeah, it was interesting you said that some of the LIV guys are thinking of coming back. I was just talking with a fine wife last <coughs> night and you know, and we're we don't like the fact that they're playing for you know these the Saudis who you know they had they had journalists killed you know in the Middle East and it's you know it's, it's that's blood money yeah so there's there's a lot of problems over there but the reason that the players left to go to LIV was not only because they were making more money but they wanted to uh, kind of force change on the PGA to restructure how they did their payouts and that happened and it happened exactly so now I was wondering if some of those players were going to come back but I guess they're under contract so they have to buy themselves out yes I mean that that's going to be a lot of money. 
Well, true, but they've gotten a lot of money. Varner Varner is one of the younger guys at the back end of the listing that said, yeah, there's a couple of us negotiating to buy our way out to come back to the PGA. does not mean Dustin Johnson or Phil Mickelson or any of those marquee guys mm-hmm. are going to do it right at this point in time. So we'll see. We'll see what other storylines are out there. But uh, did you see the um, they, they, they did like a thing on Wednesday where it was uh, they were doing hole in ones. They had like one guy had back to back hole in ones. It, it was called part three shootout. Is that a common thing on Wednesdays before the Masters? No, it's, it, it, yeah, at Augusta it is. It's it a is. special event day. Because I, I, they don't normally do that at other no. tournaments, do they? Yeah, so I, that's why I was kind of surprised by it. And it was kind of kind of neat to see the guys hitting these hole-in-ones. But I guess it's just all about the pageantry of the Masters, right? And, and getting the fans you know, more events to, to pay money for to see. The Mulberries and the Azaleas. Oh, it's just... <laughs> It's like I say, it's a slice of Americana. Okay, before we start Fans Forum, just remind everybody about how they can subscribe to get access to all the different things we do on our weekly podcast. Okay, so you can subscribe wherever you get your audio podcasts Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google. Uh, you can just search for Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and subscribe there. And also subscribe on YouTube. Click on that bell. You'll get updates whenever we do any of our live streams or video clips that we drop throughout the week. And a reminder go to my website because it's all written. I write on it every night, it's their first thing in the morning lee hacksaw hamilton.com read my one man's opinion on all the rule changes if you're a padres fan the rule changes and how the first week or so of the baseball season has played out john fans forum we got people got questions we got answers yeah we do so this one's from uh, joey yarbrough and he says you know the spanos family are cheap that's why the chargers have never won the super bowl well, you know, it's everybody spends to the salary cap. It's not, quote, that they're cheap. It's what they do with the money, and do they invest it wisely in players? You know, a prime example is they've drafted well. Keenan Allen's turned out to be a phenomenal NFL receiver. But as he's gotten better, as his contract has come up, you got to give him a pay raise. Well, now he's at the point that they got so many cap issues because their marquee guys are all making enormous amounts of money that you got to find a way to get some of these guys to lower their cap figure so you can go get other players. The Chargers have to sign Justin Herbert to what's going to be a $40 million a year contract sometime in the next calendar year. Uh, you know, I prime example, we've talked about it, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, cap figures next year are $30 million each. Oh, my you know, God. <laughs> you, you can't operate a team with $30 million each. They're going to have to go back and mm-hmm. ask for money back, or they're going to have to release somebody. Uh, Khalil Max cap figure next year is 36 Joey Bosa's is 32 I may like Bosa. He's not a $32 million a year defensive pass rusher. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to restructure down contracts. They have taken care of their players in the past. I mean, they, they did it with Keenan Allen. They did it with Mike Williams a year ago. They did it with Bosa. I just think they got to treat Austin Eckler better than he's being treated right now, except for the fact that evidently the NFL has devalued the running back position. There's just nobody going to be making more than $6 million, and Eckler's at six right now. Yeah, isn't it interesting how the, the sport changes over time? I mean, it's kind of like the NBA, where back in the 80s and 90s, the center was such a dominant player. And now, you know, everyone needs these wing guys that can shoot threes. So the game evolves the economics of the sport evolves and certain players are devalued or not. But Eckler is more than just a guy you hand off to, right? I mean, he's a guy that's all part of the offense. You know, he's, you, you give him a screen pass, all sorts of things. Uh, let's see, hopefully they work something out. If I were a king, I'd take care of him. But I don't own that franchise. Unlucky for Charger fans because I do a better job than is currently being done right now. <laughs> all right, let's move on. we got some comments here on the YouTube channel. This is from Lucas Hayes. And he says, I think the AL West is going to be the biggest race in baseball. Well, full disclosure, I picked the Angels to win the American League West last week on our MLB preview. You can go back and find it on our podcast. Now, a lot of things have to happen. Angels can't have any injuries at all to their pitching staff, and they really need bounce-back seasons from Anthony Rendon, currently under suspension for a stupid thing he did with <laughs> did you an A's fan. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Stupid. Mm-hmm. Who cares what the fan in the stand is saying? You're the one making all the money. Yeah. Just go play and get get the hits. Uh, the Angels can stay healthy. Seattle's pitching staff, to me, still looks a little iffy, and I'd be kind of concerned about that. Uh, obviously, you know, what you got in Houston, that's, that's a really good team, but there is no Altuve for three months. That's a big issue. And they got some pitching staff starting rotation issues there. So I think the AL West is going to be really competitive if people stay healthy. Now, I will tell you out of the gate, 
National League East, I thought, was going to be a hell of a division. And my goodness, Philadelphia's got so many injuries to key people. And now the Mets, the Mets have got nine pitchers on the disabled list with the first two weeks of the season. And suddenly the Mets don't look like the Mets. And Atlanta's force-feeding a lot of young guys because some of their veteran starting pitchers are on the injured list right now. But Atlanta's got all those big bats. So got a long way to go, but out of the gate. Yeah, you're right. AL West could really be good if people stay healthy. Well, even like the Rangers were just killing the Phillies to start. I guess they've won like eight or nine in a row, mm-hmm. you know, Texas over Philadelphia. But they were scoring double digits in a lot of these games. So, yeah, that AL West is going to be a, a much more interesting division than we've seen in the past. So I'm just hoping to, you know, you pick the Angels. I picked the Astros. But my heart wants the Angels to win because they've had so much bad karma. And when you have when you have Otani, when you have Travis, you have all these other players. I mean, you got to get those guys in the playoffs. I, I concur. But the, they're going to need a stroke of good luck, and they've not had good luck with injuries to their pitching staff in recent years. Maybe maybe this is the year the bats stay on the field, in the batter's box, and the pitchers stay out on the mound rather than on the disabled list. Next topic. Okay, we're going to talk Padres here. This is from Michael Dabbler. Great show, guys. Like always, the Padres pitching looks like they could they could get some help. Do you think either this spring or summer we would have enough trade chips to go out and get a number one starting pitcher to our staff? Well, at this point, there's two items. Do you have anything left in the farm system they can use as trade chips? Secondly, how much higher... Is Peter Seidler going to take the payroll? I mean, they are bumping up against the last threshold. And again, the, the luxury tax has different levels. But if you if you keep going over it for a third year in a row, you pay a hell of a price because you got to pay taxes of 50% on every dollar you spend, and you start to forfeit international signing bonus money, and then you have to give back draft picks. So there's, there's quite a penalty if you vault over the third level of the luxury tax. The Padres are currently uh, at the second level right now. So I don't know whether Seidler wants to jump into that that third area. And secondly, what else have you got to trade? I mean, you can trade Jackson Merrill, the next, quote, star that's in the system, a system that doesn't have a lot of stars because you've traded so many guys away. Um, I wouldn't worry about it. I I still think they've got depth in the pitching staff now. They can't take any season-ending injuries on. But I, I think with Darvish and with Musgrove and what they added in free agency and if they can get Blake Snell to be what Blake Snell was the second half of last season, then I think their pitching staff solid because I do think their bats are going to boom. Uh, but So it's, it's too early to worry about do we have to make a deal to get a pitcher, but there's reasons why you might not be able to make a deal. Yeah, well, Corbin Burns is going to be on the, on the tra- uh, trading block, right? I mean, he's having that friction with the ownership there and... He hasn't gotten off to a good start, so mm-hmm. we'll see what happens here. I mean, this is—I love the springtime getting baseball going. It's awesome. All right, on we go. Got another question? I do. Yeah, this is a—I thought it was an interesting one about the Lady Tigers winning the ring, and this is from M. Allen. He says, "Watching women play basketball is painful. It never gets any better." Do you agree with that? Is that guy standing next to you in left field? <laughs> I think he is. Jeez, <laughs> you did not think LSU Iowa was an entertaining game? You know, we talked about that on our Monday bonus podcast. I don't think I've ever seen anybody shoot the three like LSU's Lady Tiger shot the three. Uh, that was dynamic. Now, if you're talking about women's basketball five years ago, yeah, boring, nothing exciting, not a great number of athletes. My goodness, there were all types of athletes in that LSU-Iowa game. And if you look at what South Carolina was this year, and you look at Vatek, which was number one in the country, and they got knocked out. Even you look at the Lady Aztecs, who had a 23-win season. Now, women's college basketball, I think, has taken a big jump forward. Now, whether or not you like that coach, because she is over the top, not just in terms of what she wears, but how she acts on the floor, or whether or not you like or dislike Angel Reese and what she did, can you see me, my ring, and all that? Uh, the, the game has drastically improved, and the country grabbed it. 9.9 million viewers, more than double ever NCAA women's basketball. So, I I mean, I... I I got gray hair. I go back a long time. I remember when women's basketball first started, and the first great player was Lucy Smith. She was out of, I believe, Louisiana Tech. 
And then it was Ann Donovan, uh, who was uh, played in Virginia, was the first great player. And obviously the ones that have followed that obviously became superstars. But those were isolated people, players. We now have collectively really great teams playing women's college basketball. So apologies out there in left field. I think you're wrong. <laughs> well, you know, I think the whole game has, has made a huge step forward because now now they're they're being invited, you know, to the to the White House. Yep. Right. And Jill Biden wanted to bring, well, invite Iowa. And that really upset a lot of people. And, and Angel Reese had something to say about that, too. But but even like look at the NBA broadcast team and you've got Candace Parker up there. Um, on the you know on the die there for uh, you know, in studio host she does a great job mm-hmm. in my opinion so it's almost like the men's and women's game it's it's less of a two tiered system we're kind of getting to so they're kind of on parallel tracks yeah and they they told the LSU star you know come to the White House you can still go visit Obama or maybe we'll bring Obama to the White House to be part of the festivities but mm-hmm. uh, Angel just kind of. She yaps a lot. Holy cow, does she talk and talk and talk and talk. Okay. <laughs> well, that's what's making the sport relevant. That's sure. why we're talking about it. Exactly. And, and it's making the sport better for everybody. So, um, yeah, here's here's another uh, comment here about NCAA. And this is about, you know, the golden handshake, you know, the guy there with FAU. And this is from JL. He says, this kid had nothing to do with what's going on in Ukraine. Do we hate ourselves for the majority of wars we fight in the Middle East for oil, too? Oh, the hypocrisy. Well, it was. I, I thought it was really raunchy. And that happened during the course of the season in the Mountain West Conference. Utah State, Colorado State. Colorado State had a really good guard. Um, I'm sorry, Utah State had a really good guard who's from Ukraine, whose family's still back in Ukraine. And the Colorado State player made a derogatory comment to the kid. Yeah. Why would you do that? Right. Huge uproar. Um, and, uh, you know, Vladislav Golden, the 7-1 center from FAU, he's from Russia. He's got nothing to do with what Putin is doing to the people of Ukraine, the genocide. He's just an innocent victim because his, his passport is from Russia. I thought it was really uh, tacky. Yeah, it, it was. And it's weird how politics gets into sports here. But uh, yeah, I remember that they were bringing up the, the Utah State, Colorado State. And I think it was the Colorado State you know, f- uh, student section that was like, you know, going Russia, Russia. And, and yeah, I mean, come on, man. <laughs> you know, like you say, this is, we should be welcoming these guys here I mean, because the international players have made the NBA a better league. Oh, exactly. Yeah. The international players, I think, have helped change with the African players, change the scope of college basketball. I think that's... That's why the Final Four uh, is so spectacular. So many new players coming from so many new places. And then you add into that the transfer portal. And you add into that everybody shoots threes. It's just a really different game than when you grew up watching four-corner offense and (laughs) Dean Smith in North Carolina burning the clock. Yeah, I remember those days. That was was a a disaster. Okay, you want to take another question here, Let's do one more here. All right, one more. And uh, let's get – this is one of the Aztec questions. And this is from the the Scat Man. He says, Trammell – is the most Inya Grill defensive point guard in a hot minute. He reminds me of a combination of Robert Pack and Corey Beck. Not bad. Not a bad call. Uh, I, he's coming back. Uh, as we talked about on our Monday bonus broadcast, I think he's one of the most unique college guards I've ever seen. His ability to come off the dribble, pull up, and mechanically be perfect as he launches his jump shot that's really impressive and he does it consistently and he penetrates and he he does get to the the paint and he can make shots against the bigs and he distributes the ball while he's in traffic but his ability to come off the dribble plant his foot launch and be mechanically perfect Mm -hmm. uh just amazing i mean it's like lamont butler's game-winning basket his mechanics one bounce up explosive jump and then nailing the game-winning shot that's pretty impressive. So both Trammell and uh, I would hope Butler both coming back next year with the two bigs, and then we'll see what happens in the transfer portal. Yeah, well, you know, I saw one a snapshot of Trammell in one of his, you know, uh, in the shooting motion, and I was looking at it, and I was thinking of you, because his his mechanics were perfect. Mm-hmm. And it's, he, he does tricky little things where he'll shoot sometimes on the way down, you know, as a way to kind of overcome the height of those big guys in the lane. But, you know, he's coming back. Ladis says he's... He's coming back, but Keyshaw said 
all options are on the table. NBA, draft, come back for another year, or maybe even the transfer portal. I mean, do you think Keyshawn would leave and go to another college team? I would hope people would not whisper in his ear, but I'd like to see him come back. Because he is a big athlete, and he, he can make himself a defensive specialist in the NBA. But because he's got that size, let him come back and spend the entire summer working on shots on the low post and working on shots in the paint. And whether that's turnaround jumpers, that's bank shots, or because of his size and length, hook shots. Master that and make yourself a complete player. Ladie has taken that step forward now. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got an NBA body, and he's going to be even better next year once he refines certain things of his offense. Let Keyshawn do that. Let Keyshawn stay. Hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed our Thursday podcast. We are here every Thursday. We do bonus coverage on Monday. Please check my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. It's all written. We want you to subscribe to everything we're doing on the podcast. Give us a thumbs up along the way. Share. Share with all your followers, whether that's on Twitter, whether that's on Facebook, whether that's through what we do with our podcast. John, have yourself a great sports weekend. We will talk to you on Monday, and good luck spending the weekend out in left field. Yeah, out in left field, man. <laughs> the Padres need to do something here against Atlanta, so I'm looking forward to that. Have yourself a great sports weekend. Thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.